This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. And if you want to join in on the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode or any other, please join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. This is Phyllis Strong, writer-producer on Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Warp 5 on Trek FM. Trip. Ready when you are. Prepare for warp. Course laid in, sir. Request permission to get underway. Let's go. Welcome, boomers, to another episode of Warp 5. I'm your host, Brandon Shamutella, and today we're providing you with some extra special content. Um, at the Albany Northeast Trek Convention on the weekend of October 26, 2018, Ken Tripp from Standard Orbit and myself uh, were there. We had a table at the convention, and we were actually able to participate in a panel on Sunday, which was a heck of a lot of fun. Uh, Ken ended up hosting the panel and guesting on the panel, and the discussion itself was Podcasting 101. We were just talking about being podcasters, things that we've learned as podcasters and things like that. Uh, but on the panel was myself, Brandon Shemitella, and we had Sue Kissenweather from Women at Warp, plus Dan and Bill from the Trek Geeks podcast. And it was a really fun time. We had a lot of interaction with the audience. I was actually very surprised to see how many people were in the audience, but we had we had quite an audience. I would say there was probably about 75 people that were listening to the show, and we, we recorded the audio for you, and we're going to release it for you today as a special bonus episode of Warp 5. So I hope you enjoy listening to this panel that we recorded on, I believe it was October 28th, so uh, yeah, Sunday, October 28th, 2018, at Albany, New York's Northeast Trek Convention, and we really hope we can come back next year and check it out uh, again, because it was a lot of fun, and it's, you, you know, one of the things about little conventions, you know, I like them a little bit more. Vulcan was a small convention, Albany was a small convention, and, you know, it's a little bit closer and a little bit more personal, and there, there'll be times when it's quiet, so you can actually go... And you could sit down and chat with some of the Star Trek celebrities that are there. So it was a lot of fun. These were some great people to talk to. This was a great convention to go to. So I recommend don't always just go to the really big conventions like the, the Comic Cons and the Vegas convention. You should check out some of the small ones. Uh, welcome, everyone, to the, to the podcast panel today. We're, uh, we're excited to, to have this opportunity to be able to talk to you and get some good feedback on, on what we're doing and hopefully get some good interaction and some questions. Uh, before we get going, although we have one member who's decided to leave the stage, what I'm going Good. to ask... <laughs> Bye, Dan. Bye, Dan. 
uh, is for the folks that are up here to introduce themselves, which show they're on, how long they've been doing it, and we'll go from there. So we'll start with you, Sue. Hi, I'm Sue Kissamother. I am the a co-host of Women at Warp on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. And uh, we have been running for about three and a half years now on Women at Warp. Uh, before that, I personally have been podcasting for about 10 years. And before I was with Women at Warp, I was on uh, the Anomaly podcast. And actually, we did them. I did them concurrently for a little while, which was a lot of work. <laughs> and you started when you were 15. <laughs> if, only. if only. No, definitely oh. not. Okay. Sorry, Brandon? My name is Brandon Mattella, and I'm Canadian. As you can probably tell from my uh, my accent here. Does that mean you get a special parking spot? Lucky. What are you announcing that for? <laughs> Canadian, huh? Never would have guessed. to lord it over us. Um, I host two shows on Trek FM. Uh, the first show that I host is called Melodic Treks, which is all about the music of Star Trek. Uh, it's a lot of fun. I do interviews with composers and recently had an interview with Nicholas Meyer talking about composing from a director's point of view. Um, and I have a podcast called Warp 5, which is all about Star Trek Enterprise. And then outside of Star Trek, I actually have a few other little projects. I just wrapped up an 11-part episode uh, for the Talk Film Society on Halloween movies. So uh, Dan was on for the Rob Zombie remake. That was a lot of fun. Um, and then I have an Alfred Hitchcock podcast, which is we go through all of Alfred Hitchcock's films from the beginning. And that's a monthly podcast on the Fandom Podcast Network. Um, and then I have an monthly podcast on Cinematic Sound Radio, which is all about electronic film scores. I've only done two episodes of that one. So the first episode was on the Academy Award-winning duo of Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. So, <laughs> so let's wake up the geeks over here. Sorry. You guys up? All right, great. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, I didn't realize I was, I was sitting next to... Uh... Oh, I have one more podcast. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I'm, uh, I'm Bill Smith. I'm the producer of Trek Geeks and the co-host of both Trek Geeks and Discovering Trek. Uh, we've been doing this for about uh, almost four years now, um, and to say you were a willing participant is, uh, is probably a lie, but uh, I will hand this over to you. All right, and I'm Dan Davidson. As Bill said, I'm co-host of Trek Geeks and the host of Discovering Trek. Um, we uh, started about four years ago, and at first, Bill came to me. We were at a convention in Boston uh, together, and he said, hey, I've been thinking of doing a, uh, a podcast about Star Trek. Are you interested? And my response was literally, no. What's a podcast? And, and, that's, and that's how it started. Uh, for another year, he bugged me about it, and we finally kicked it off in January 20-something. Uh, and math is hard. And uh, here we are, and we're having a great time. We love it. Um, Trek Geeks is, is the uh, discussion of Star Trek through the veil of our two-decade friendship, whereas Discovering Trek is a weekly serious discussion about the current episode of Discovery that's airing uh, during season one and, of course, in season two. So here we are. Thanks for coming. Yeah, this Take is care. great. <laughs> <laughs> and he drops the mic. And we go on. So my name is Ken Tripp. I host Standard Orbit on Trek FM. I've been doing this for quite a while in terms of, well, three or four years, I guess, seems like quite a while. It's a lot of work. I have had the privilege, I was thinking about it, that I have podcasted with everybody up on stage at one point. So it was kind of neat. You know, it is a, it's a very, uh, a very small, kind of unique community. And uh, what I love about the whole thing, there, there's, there's no competition. Everybody wants everyone to win. And yeah. uh, that, that's, a, that's a pretty neat thing, right? Bad, would you say that's true? Yeah, okay. So I, th I think that's, that, that's what makes this whole thing very unique. And uh, good people of good character are all trying to do the same thing and, and have a lot of fun with Star Trek. So as a show of hands, so I, I'm just curious from the audience, how many people have listened to Star Trek podcasts? 
Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good number. How many of you actually have done or been on a podcast? All right, we got a good team. It's good representation out here. So what we're going to do is we're going to be talking about podcasting, right? That's the whole goal of this. What, what all these folks have been through and, and, and whatnot, we'll definitely be taking some questions from the audience in a little bit. So I have, have some questions to start. We'll, we, we started with Sue, so we'll, we'll start down the other end with Dan just going forward. So this is an interesting question that, that, was, that was asked, and I thought it, it really was a great one to, to start with. What are the aspects of podcasting that have enhanced or inhibited your Star Trek experience? Hmm. Good question. I'm going to stand up because i got a bad foot, and I need to stretch it out. So good question. I guess um, the thing that stands out to me the most is something that inhibits but enhances at the same time, and that's when we first started getting into this, I had no idea what – social media can do and and the power that it has both positively and negatively so it was a tremendous shock to my system when we would be sitting there talking about this thing that we love and talking about all the positive things that we take out of a particular episode or a particular movie and then the amazing negative social media reactions that can sometimes take place and for people that may be thinking about podcasts, not scaring anybody, be prepared for that because you can have the most positive thing in mind, but unfortunately, there is going to be negativity no matter what happens. Bill and I like to say that we have a rule called the John Champion Rule from Mission Log. Everybody's least favorite episode of Star Trek is someone's favorite episode of Star Trek, and it's the other way around too. So you can have the Alternative best. factor is great. Like that. Um, so you can have the most positive intentions in mind, but social media and the world we live in today, you're going to get reaction that you might not be um, ready for. And what I feel is one of the important detractors from that is people use anonymity and being able to be isolated when they give these responses as a kind of way to hide it. So I think that's why it can be so negative at times. On the other hand, it can be great. We have had amazing response with social media, so it goes both ways. And that's just one of the things that both inhibits and enhances the podcast experience. That's a great answer, Bill. What do you think? It's amazing. He said that all in one breath. You would never have known that, but didn't even pause. Um, uh, for me, it's kind of a double-edged sword because I think that the thing that uh, that both in the pro and the con side that, that has affected my fandom is that it's caused me to look at Star Trek more critically. And there are times when that's great, and I enjoy that aspect of it. And there's times when I just want to sit down and watch Star Trek and just zone out and geek out and enjoy this thing that I love. And I go, oh, should that really have been the motivation in that scene? Or, oh, should that really have occurred? Because that doesn't seem very Star Trek. Um, so it, it kind of – there are times when I can't turn off my brain from analyzing Star Trek long enough to enjoy Star Trek, if that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. I think it, it's – it's an excellent point. Uh, Brandon, you've got a lot to follow because they've made some really good points here. Ditto. <laughs> He's a man of few words. Um, it's, enhanced my, it's enhanced my fandom because like, I'm very humbled. I've been very, very fortunate with the interviews that I've had for all, all of my podcasts. I've had some really, really amazing guests on my show. I got to interview Gerald Freed, who's the last surviving composer for the original Star Trek series. You know, Nicholas Meyer, Cliff Eidelman, like Star Trek VI, the music changed my life. You know, to be able to talk to Cliff Eidelman about his music was really amazing. But And then, I mean, the community that it's brought has also been a positive thing. Like, you know, 
getting to know all these other podcasters and getting to be friends with them and then getting to see them at conventions has been really amazing. But then for the detriment, uh, you know, I was on The Edge, which is Trek FM's podcast for um, uh, Star Trek Discovery, and I was on it for the first season. And honestly, being for that podcast and preparing, like, I, I, in order to feel ready, I was watching the episodes four times, and that was just a number that I chose before I would record the episode, I had to watch it four times. And I, I think that doing that and then doing the podcast completely ruined my enjoyment of season one of Discovery. And so I didn't want to be in it anymore because I didn't want to look at it that critically. I just want to love Star Trek again. And so this coming season, I don't know if I'm actually even going to listen to any Star Trek Discovery podcast for this season because I just <laughs> want to go into it. You know, I'm not going to listen to the 12 Trek FM podcasts on it either, you know. Wait, wait they've so, cut down to 12? <laughs> but um, I, I, I'm just, I want to just enjoy it and I want to just love Trek again because Trek was so important to me, you know. And these people that you know, freak out about canon, I mean, like the novels were there for me and that's not canon, but it's my canon, you know. And I can, I can squint and make any one of those books fit in the canon any way that I want to and it doesn't, this shouldn't matter to anybody else. You know, so that's my fandom, and I want to be that fan again. So I think I'm taking a big step back from Discovery this year. I just want to watch it to love it. So that's it's good analysis. It's it's good reflective thinking on the way ahead and how you can be successful and enjoy it and enhance rather than inhibit your enjoyment. Yeah. What about you, Sue? I think a lot of what comes um, is two sides of the same coin, right? When you begin to gain recognition in the fandom for having a podcast. Uh, especially for for women at war, when we have the Roddenberry name behind us, we gain access. You know, the past couple of years, I've gained press access to a lot of places I never imagined. You know, I just I was earlier up on stage with Chase Masterson and Nicole DeVore. Like ten year old me is having a heart attack. <laughs> but um, what what comes with those amazing experiences is that you're not just representing yourself anymore. You're representing your brand and your show and the people that you work with. And for me, I'm also now representing Roddenberry, which is a, a weight on my shoulders. I don't want to screw something up and have that get back to to somebody so involved in the, these shows, you know? Um, but it's also created an amazing community. So there there are pieces of it. And then when you're you're podcasting, you're putting your opinions out there for the entire world to get. And overwhelmingly, I would say responses are good good responses tend to be fleeting. You know, they're retweets of like, check out this great episode. They're, they're maybe a Facebook comment of like, I really enjoyed this. But the people who come to your website, who come to your show notes and leave the lasting comments that stick with that page are the people who are unhappy with you. Right. And that's one of the reasons, you know, people say the negative comments stick around in your head longer, but they also stick around on your website longer. Because of that, that's how people interact. So if you want to help your favorite podcasts, also leave comments on their web pages, because <laughs> uh, it can be it can be an emotional toll sometimes when you're dealing with uh, like we do a lot a controversial topic. Um, but it, it's as as Brandon said, it's a toll on your time as well. You get to talk about something you love. You get to build a community, but it's it's eating away at other parts of your life. You know, I. People keep asking me, are you watching this show? Are you watching that show? And I'm like, no, I'm watching Star Trek for the 17th time. <laughs> because if you're, if you're doing a deep dive into one episode, you're going to watch that two or three times. You're going to read about it. You're going to look stuff up about it. If you're doing a topic show, 
you're going to watch multiple episodes multiple times and read up on all of them. So it is, there's a lot of dedication that goes into it. So it's, it's a bigger commitment than, you know, sitting down at your computer for an hour every week. I like it. Guys answered that question beautifully. This next one, it probably has a mix of some of the things that have already been said. So let, let's ask it in both the sense of, uh, of business and personal podcasting. And it's, it's essentially, it's a wide open one. And Sue, I'll start with you. So what do you, what do you know now that you really wish you knew better when you started this, that 10 years ago when you were 15? <laughs> if only, no, um, definitely, definitely not. <laughs> what do I, mm. The most important thing that I think about podcasting, you know, your technical knowledge will grow, your equipment will get better. That all comes with time. But the most important thing to know when you get started podcasting is that you should come up with a schedule and stick to it. That is the, literally the most important thing you could do because if you release your show erratically, you're going to lose your audience. It needs to be, even if people don't listen to it right when it comes out, if they see that you've stopped posting shows or you're not posting regularly that's when you're going to lose people from your audience. So I think that's that's number one tip is consistency. Um, for me, it was editing. And like I w- what I wish I knew when I first started was um, that when it, when it comes to editing, you want to do a good job, but you don't need to over-edit. Like I, I, I can't go back and listen to my first interview because I was given bad advice that I should be taking out every single um and pause and whatnot, and I over-edited so that my first guest sounded like they did not stop to breathe, like because I edited it down. And that first interview, it was an hour long, or it was an hour and a half interview or something like that, and it, it took me eight hours to edit it. Right, so like I, when I started, so edit it to make it sound nice, edit out coughs and things like that, but leave the natural pauses and. Um, something that saved time, which I wish I knew I didn't discover for quite a while, is I use a trackball mouse because it is so much easier than having to pick things up. If you, if you can get a trackball mouse and use it, that literally cut my podcasting editing in half. You know, like just because of the ease of access. And now I use one at work and everything like this and I couldn't use another one. So for me, editing was the big time crunch and I, I hate editing so much. I love preparing. I love talking. I love interviewing. I hate editing. If I can jump in, what is would you say is your average edit time uh, I'm, now? I'm, I'm down to, if it's a difficult one, it's double. So if it's an hour-long podcast, it'll take me two hours to edit. But, you know, w- with experience with people like on Warp 5, like we've got a good feng shui that I can now be distracted while I'm editing and I can just half listen to it. And so an hour long will take me like, 70 minutes to edit like because I'll, I'll be like oh we have to take out that crazy tangent because it's nonsense so i just have to cut out a big chunk but with our experience and how we interact with each other i don't have to take out large chunks anymore i don't have to do the fine editing anymore which saves a ton of time so experience there as well i think i would say it's uh it, the thing i wish i knew is that in addition to being a podcaster you're also your own social media machine you're also your own pr mechanism you're also your own customer relations bureau because you interact directly with the listeners. There's a lot of investment that goes into that because you can have the greatest content you want in the world, but unless you also intend to promote that content and learn the art of self-promotion, because that's something we as humans don't necessarily do very well, um, then your podcast is only going to grow so much. You know, People discover our podcast, I know, every day, and I'm sure that's true of everybody here on the, on the dais, but... 
that happens because social media happens or targeted ads happen or word of mouth happens or general conversation or maybe we guest on each other's podcasts and somebody finds out about us that way. So whereas it may seem as simple as just recording and releasing an episode, there's so much that happens to grow and build a show and an audience. Yeah, for me, I think um, coming into it, I wish I was more of an expert at time management because there's a lot of time that goes into this, whether it's preparation or whether it's the actual recording, scheduling, if you're going to have a guest on. And I don't look at it in the negative of that it takes so much time because it's positive because I love doing it, but I have a real-world job. I have a wife who I adore and want to spend every moment that I can with, and it just it takes a lot. So we've come across situations where we've got a lot going on, and I can't stress enough how much I agree with Sue about the schedule. It's it, You, you want to stick to that schedule, and there have been times we drop on Tuesdays. Sometimes we'll record it Monday night because there's so much going on during the week that we can't do anything, but we have to get it done. So the time management factor was something that I have had to grow to learn and really appreciate. One of the things, I'm sorry, <laughs> one of the things that we started doing, we found out early on with four hosts and sometimes a guest, uh, that it was getting very difficult to coordinate. When is everybody free? Because we, we all have lives and other stuff going on. So we decided at one point that we're going to make a, just a recurring schedule. So every other Sunday at six o'clock Eastern time, that is when we record Women at Warp. And everybody blocks that out in our, in our calendars. We don't schedule something against that. So it's always there for all of us. And it appears on our Google calendars. And now when it changes, if something comes up for somebody, it moves around that day. But it stays on the top of our minds. Um, but when you're, you're working with guests, when, especially when you're working with a high-profile guest, you have to bend to their schedule. So there have been times that I have taken a day off work because my guest was only available in the middle of a work day. You know, there have been times that I have Skyped with somebody in Scotland at what was three in the morning for me because that was the only time they were available. So you, it's, it's a commitment. That's what it keeps coming back to. And on Warp 5, we also do that. Monday nights is when we record every Monday. And if one of them can't make it, we just go ahead without them right. because we have to get that episode every week. So, yeah. Yeah, I, like every every point up here, I think is is very relevant, and you know it all depends what you do for a living and what you can do, and and I have found in my experience, um, you know, life changes, uh, jobs change, roles change, and you try to flow with it. If you are doing it by yourself, it's your show. I think you have a lot more control. When you have other people involved in it, that's when it really becomes tricky. So I would say, from my perspective, that relationship with your podcasting partners become very very important because you need to share the load. Editing is a pain, right? Recording is fun, but getting that time together to do it is is so critical. And if you have the right people involved, there's there's no issues with hey, I've got the ball this week, you've got it. So the more talented, and let me put, it, I'm going to say talented in terms of being able to to speak well, but talent in terms of being able to edit, uh, being able to schedule, uh, being able to log in desk, to even come up with the ideas of what you're going to speak to and have those conversations in advance so you can put the prep into it is really, really critical. But that, I, I will tell you, um, you know, being part of a network's a little bit different, right? Because, you know, Brandon and I are, these folks are all independent within their own teams, which is great. Um, it's a little tougher for us because we, we have to drop on a certain day 
Um, there isn't any flexibility in that. And then, so for me, having two other podcasters now on the show is so helpful. It's incredibly helpful because if I can't make it, they got it. You know, and if one of them can't make it, we have it. So it, it works out well. So that, that's one aspect. So that, this, that was great. I, I, I thought those were pretty great answers. Uh, I'm going to switch the tone a little bit before we get into audience questions. So other than the time that I get started with any one of you, what, what are your other favorite moments um, in podcasting that have occurred? So uh, where did we start last time? Because we were really talking there. I think start with Brandon. We'll start with Brandon. Okay. Brandon, we'll start with you. Um, I would have to say that uh, my favorite moment in podcasting, I would have to say, would be my first interview that I got. So... I wanted to get on Trek FM. I found Trek FM and I was like thrilled. I'm like Star Trek because I didn't know anybody where I live in Regina, Saskatchewan. I have no Star Trek friends. So I had nobody to talk with. So my fandom died after Enterprise. And, you know, I was reading the books, as I said, and I found David R. George, George III had posted an interview that he did on Literary Treks. And that's how I found the network. And as soon as I got involved, I could. And I was harassing Chris. Chris, I want to be on. Chris, I want to be on. Chris, I want to take over this. Chris, let me do this. Let me do this. And he's a busy guy, too. And so finally, I'm just like, I created a pilot for him. I'm like, here's my resume, right? And he's like, okay, this guy must be serious. So, uh, But I even before I had done that, I had actually arranged an interview with Ron Jones, who composed 42 episodes of The Next Generation. And I had conducted my Ron Jones interview before I even had the show. So I don't know what I would have done with it had I not gotten the podcast. But being having that interview with him and speaking with him and for those that don't know so he did 42 episodes of the next generation and he was fired because you know the general story is his music was too good for the show and he was told your music's here to support the show the show's not here to support your music and his music is really outstanding so he did the best of both worlds one and two he did that music um, but talking with him and talking about his experience and how he opened up when he got fired, he was uh, composing and recording the drumhead, which is the trial episode with Adam Osati, right? And so I'm like, what was it like recording this, knowing that you were fired, and how emotional he got? And like, he's still he's still upset after all this time about being let go from the show. He's gone on and had a wonderful career. He did Family Guy for the huge long run of the show, which was hugely popular. And it was his wheelhouse, this wonderful jazz-style type of music that he did. And he's got a wonderful studio up in Washington right now. And so he's, like, teaching and, and getting people to come and record in the studio. So he's landed on his feet. He's doing great. But it still hurts. And so to hear that after all this time, you know, was, like, that was the probably my ultimate experience that I've had so far, was being able to talk to Ron Jones but I, I, again, I've been very fortunate with my interviews. We talked with Manny Cotto. You know, he went, he did Enterprise for season three and four. He was the executive producer. He went on to work on Dexter in 24. You know, like he's, he's a really big name and be able to talk to him for our 100th episode of Warp 5. And so, you know, a, the interviews are the best because it's just, as a nerd, loving the behind the scenes stuff, every single interview that I have is very precious to me. All right, Bill. I thought that my favorite moments would be tied to people we had appear on Trek Geeks. So, you know, when we got Nana Visitor and we got Andrew Robinson, I was like, yeah. But it turns out it's not that. It's the interactions we've had with people sort of randomly and haphazardly at various places. There, there's two in particular. Uh, one, a guy named Tom from Houston, who we met at STLV a couple of years ago, had this old 1970s style fanzine style newsletter. And he was collecting the autographs of various people from Star Trek. 
and on one page you see uh, Walter Koenig, you see Nichelle Nichols, you see you know people who've who've worked behind the scenes. You know, you see the Rick Stern box of the world from Next Generation. And he goes, yeah, I've reserved this spot over here for you and Dan to sign. And we're like, us? You wait, you want us to sign this, which in my world is a historical document, you know? Absolutely. And it's like, are, are you really sure you want these two idiots to sign this thing? And I'm going to jump in. It was like in the center of this. Yeah, it was like prominent. Like, uh, okay. And we signed it. And we both walked away afterwards going, can you believe this? And then the other one was literally just 48 hours ago here at Northeast Recon. There was a 12-year-old girl who came in with her dad, and one of the first stops they wanted to make was our table because she had listened to our episode that week, uh, which was Pride of Chaotica from Voyager, for the very first time. And in the car, on the way here, she drew us fan art of our Trek Geeks logo, which is the, the tricolor delta you see here on my sweatshirt and on Dan's polo. And she presented it to us, and it's like, uh, we never even considered that small humans would listen to our podcast. <laughs> and then we became suddenly scared for everything we've said over 156 <laughs> episodes. So those really have turned out to be the moments that have meant the most to me, I know, because I, you, you create these things, you put them out into the ether, you have no idea who's going to listen. You have no idea with whom something is going to resonate. You know, And uh, when it comes to be very personal like that, it really kind of drives it home. Yeah, interviews were huge. I was so excited. Um, we were able to visit the Star Trek Continue set uh, when they were filming an episode a couple of years ago, and that was really great. The interactions and the friends that we've met at places like Vegas and here, and we now consider our Star Trek family, is, is very important. But there's one that, that sticks out to me. Um, for people that have listened to the show and people who know us, I was on the verge of committing suicide one night back in the late uh, 90s, early 2000. Uh, literally had a gun in my mouth one night, and... It just so happened that the show Deep Space Nine's Captive Pursuit was on. And if it was not for that episode of television being on my VCR that night, I would have pulled the trigger. Because what was being said on the screen made me stop and think. And over the course of the last decade plus, I've been able to thank Calm for saving me and this, that, and the other thing. And if you want to get the details, you can listen to the episode of Trek Geeks on Captive Pursuit. But the thing that stands out and is my most precious moment is we got an email after Captive Pursuit aired on our, on our show and it was a gentleman who wanted to thank us and thank me for telling my story because our episode was his captive pursuit. He was going to kill himself that night and listen to my story and stopped. And that, I even to this, even now, I cannot even fathom that I was able to help somebody with that. So for me, that I don't know if anything can ever top that. Um, it shows that Star Trek saves lives on different levels than you can even think of. Um, for me, it saved me. The show literally saved me. And our discussion of what happened to me through Star Trek helped save someone else's life. And to me, that, that goes without measure. So that will always be my favorite moment. That is incredibly powerful. And, yeah. But not only that for you, like it's, Star Trek has touched so many people in so many ways, and everybody has a different aspect of fandom that gets them in a different way. Like, you know, polyester here is going to be having a podcast very soon called Sober Trek. It's coming out on Tricorder Transmission, you know, and Star Trek helped her overcome her addiction with alcohol, you know, and that has reached, she's reached out to other people and had other interactions because of that. So. <laughs> it is now. But excellent. So it's helped a lot of people in a lot of ways, and like this is this is this story gets me every time I hear it. It's pretty amazing. So, yeah. there's no so way I can follow, follow that. Yeah. No, not Sorry. a chance. Sorry. 
Thank I mean, you. Good like night. Star Trek. Star <laughs> Trek is fun. Gates McFadden did recently praise me on an article I wrote about Dr. Crusher. So, I mean, that's pretty high up there. That's great. <laughs> um, it's, it's interactions like that when you somebody tells you that they, you've changed their mind about something. Um, that was... We, we were told uh, in, in comments that we helped sing, change somebody's mind about gay people with, with our talk about the outcast. What? We have that kind of power? Um, we, we publish on our, our website, our associated website, we have a blog where, you know, just any, it's not just the, the co-hosts. I've lost my words listening to this story. Yeah. <laughs> where, uh, yeah, so we have guest authors tell their stories. And one of the most popular has been, when I transitioned, I looked to Dax. So about uh, somebody's story in their their transgender journey. And it is, it's one of the most popular pieces that gets spread around a lot. But there were so many just wonderful comments about that helped this, this character helped me as well, but also this story, this article helped me a lot. And uh, that piece got into somehow Brian Fuller found it recently and tweeted it out. So that got a whole new audience. It was interesting when we found that and said, well, that explains the spike in our website traffic. Um, but in terms of, of on-air stuff, on-show on stuff, uh, one of my, my favorite things was when we had a show on the women of the first Star Trek conventions, and we were able to get Lynn Kohler and Deborah Langsam, who were on the committee who created the first conventions, to just come on and talk about their experiences and the work that they put in and all of the things that happened in the 70s that led to these conventions, that led to the, the fanzines, because Devra also created Spockanalia, one of the first fanzines. And um, it was with, with me and my co-host, Jara. And the two of them just, just talked. We barely said anything. And I could just sit back. And, and I texted her, and I said, this is amazing. And it was, I mean, fan history is kind of my own personal wheelhouse in fandom. But it was just astonishing to to listen to these women talk about their experiences in early fandom because i think that's something that we're losing it's not as documented as it should be and it's something that we need to know any group needs to know their history right that's fair yeah that was a great episode that oh, one was really you. good yeah. <laughs> this this is great i you know i i, I listen I, as i get older for whatever reason i get more emotional i don't know why you know, <laughs> star trek older than god's dog i'm very emotional when it comes there's to a lot of dust in here there is, yeah, yeah. Well, except for 25-year-olds. But yeah. for the rest of us, it's a you little You guys, different. I'm 35, okay? <laughs> You're still a puppy. Okay, let's just, for the record, for the record, folks. Anyway, That's I, not what I told uh, Alt-Star Trek Creative when I was 13. <laughs> okay. But, uh, no, no, th thanks for sharing. There's a lot there. I, I, I think that... Um, the, the family aspect of, of the fandom and being able to connect with just, just good people all the time through the podcasting and, and being able to come here and do this is huge for me personally. And, and that's, I guess, you know, the best experience that I had is just the network of friends I've met. And, and I, I don't have anything that compares to a lot of this stuff. I just don't. But for me personally, that's what it is. I've made friends for life that I never would have had I not stepped into this world in the podcasting world. I mean, just great people doing phenomenal things you know, to, to make life better for so many. And, and that, to me, is so enriching. And, and that's what it's like when we come here, right? I, I've, I've tweeted out even when I've been in Las Vegas. You know, it's just nice to go someplace where everyone's welcome. And I can't emphasize everyone more. 
and that's what it is, you know, and, and you smile all the time. And, and I think, you know, there's a lot of places in society where everyone is legally welcome, but I don't know how well they feel welcomed, you know. And in Star Trek, it's real. It really is. And I think that's what makes this whole thing just a wonderful journey for, for me and for all of us. All right, so I'm going to switch now. Are you guys ready for some questions to ask these folks? Yeah. Is there any questions in the audience? So what I'm going to do, I'm going to come down there. I'm going to give you the mic, if you don't mind, just so we can... Oh, a roving reporter. Question. It's and like we'll your Phil Donahue. <laughs> yeah. So if you want a quick answer, anyone but Brandon? <laughs> <laughs> and if you want an answer in English, anybody but Dan? <laughs> Thank you. I speak Boston, so if anybody struggles, I've got you. So anyone? Oh, way back here. Okay. I'll start down here. Now I am like Phil Donahue. Getting your steps in. Um, one thing, and uh, first of all, I just want to say that uh, I showed up 20 minutes late. I don't know if you already talked about this, um, but one thing that I listen to a lot of podcasts. Like I'm a, I'm a musician, so I spend a lot of time on the road, um, and so I'm constantly listening to it. But as a musician, one thing that always drives me nuts about podcasts. Uh, about a lot of podcasts, not yours, um, is uh, that seems like most podcasters haven't figured out compression and EQ. Um, like, uh, I don't know if you've ever listened to a podcast and somebody kind of makes a lot of this noise when they're talking and like it just hurts your ears when you're driving uh, uh, and you have to like crank up the volume to like hear the road noise or like you know, it's like somebody gets a little far away from the mic, and then somebody gets a little too close to the mic, and uh, I don't know, it's like compression. <laughs> That's you. <laughs> um, but uh, when when did y'all figure out uh, about that, and did have you ever told new podcasters, like, please do this? <laughs> um, I think we're, uh, at least we, Women at Warp, I think we're still working on it. Um, a lot of podcasters, as opposed to, you know, professional musicians or people creating, doing professional sound work, is that a lot of us are self-taught, and there is no one way to do it, and because we're funding it ourselves, we're using what is available to us. So some people are using GarageBand, some people are using Audacity, some people have the funds to be able to use a program like Adobe Audition but they all function differently. And there are tons of tutorials out there, but you can only do what you can do. Um, we have certainly has had some equalization issues. Uh, there are different ways to try and combat that, but none of them are perfect. And some people don't have as good of an ear as others. So whereas I may listen to something and say, well, that person sounds much louder. Somebody else might not. Somebody else might not hear it. Um, so we, we do our best with it. And we have certainly gotten comments like, oh, I really wish you would fix this. But the way to do it is not an angry comment, uh, in my opinion. No. If, you, if you really love a show, if you really love their content, but you have an issue like that, the best way, in my opinion, is an email. You know, to say, hey, I really love your show. And if you have the skills, I have these skills. I've noticed that you're having this with your sound quality. I'm not sure if you're working on it. But if there's anything I can do to help you solve this problem, let me know. And that's not something everybody can do, but it's if, if the email is just, you need to fix your sound quality, 
you're going to get ignored. Because yeah. it's not nice. <laughs> Sorry. The best thing and the biggest challenge with the podcasting platform is there's no standard. As like Sue said, there's a low barrier to entry. So really anyone can podcast and that's the beauty. But the downfall is that anyone can podcast and they don't necessarily understand audio production. And that's fine because it's the product they put out. Now, there are tools out there that people can use that are relatively simple. You know, you can use something like Levelator or Aphonic to at least level your podcast and cut down on the clipping or the, the clicks you hear when your recording level's too high, for those of you who, who don't necessarily produce audio all the time. But, you know, by and large, as long as you start off with the goal of a mostly clean sound in your raw file, you can do just about anything with it. And I think that a lot of it is the, the knowledge gap. It's, it's one thing to watch a tutorial. It's one thing to understand how to put it into play and what it means for your end product as far as audio goes. Yeah. Right. The, the, problem with the, the problem with a lot of the tutorials is that they tell you what to do but not why. Right. And right. I, I am a strong believer in you won't retain information unless you know why. And it's, it's not easy. I'm not good at that aspect of editing. I'm still learning that. Bill, for for our podcast, has to deal with a lot of my inconsistencies, which I'm very, you know, I'm fine to say. When I talk, and I heard it today when we recorded today's episode, when I have my S's, it's very S-y, and, and it can cause that problem. And that's something that needs to be fixed, and I have a tendency to talk into the mic like this a lot. So it can get very loud, and... That ha and and I totally hear what you're saying because I've heard it too myself when listening to other podcasts when you're listening and not all of a sudden you're deaf and if you're listening in your car it's not as bad as when you have your earbuds in and then your brain comes out the other side of your ear when something like that happens so I give credit to Bill it is a craft to learn how to do it just putting in the effort to learn it is very beneficial as a podcaster I'm very critical on my own podcasts when I edit them and I like I. But that's why I spend such a long time on them is because I want them to sound good. And I spend too I spend too much time on them, you know, as it now my computer but I'm also limited on my budget. Like I don't have money for this. And my my I have a laptop and it's an old laptop, it's like ten years old now, and I've got a I've got a USB mic connected to it and my, the USB mic is way better than my laptop is and it picks up the hum of my laptop on my audio track. And so I have to go in, and I, I hate doing it because I don't like what it does to the sound of my voice, but I have to noise reduce my my audio to get that hum out because it drives me insane. I don't know if anybody else can hear it, right. but it drives me insane. And I, I take the sacrifice because I think the hum is worse than the artifacting in my audio for my voice. I'm going to hear it now. <laughs> yeah, so, well, you, yeah. So. Well, that's the thing, because we're, we're, we're doing this at home, too, most of us anyway. We don't have sound studios uh, we, and so we do what we can to get the best quality we can. But, I mean, I live in a pre-war building in Brooklyn. When my radiator comes on in the winter, you're going to hear the radiator. Like, I have no option about that. Um, between – right? <laughs> I can't even turn it off. Like, I can't – it's whatever. I'm in Saskatchewan. But, Six months of the year yeah. when I'm podcasting, I'm like – I go upstairs and I say, okay, Marcy, I'm turning the furnace off because my furnace is literally behind where I record – and so by the time I'm done in an hour living in Saskatchewan, it is freezing upstairs. Yeah. And we have winter six months of the year. Basically, my wife hates it when I record in the winter. Well, but between our four hosts, we have seven cats. You know, you're, you're going to hear some cat noises on the show. It's just going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I think, too, when you, when you talk about independent or part of a network, 
The QA standards on Trek FM are very high. I mean, we get an earful if, if it's not at a certain level. That's why even when we do what we do, it still has to go through QA. Someone else will listen and make sure it's right. And, but you uh, get an earful from your network, not from your audience. No, no, no. That's because we have to go back and fix it. <laughs> so it's, it's, it, it all varies, you know. It, but you're right. I, I think to all of your points, it's um, for all of us that, that were rookies coming into this, me included, learning that talent, that ability, took a lot of time for me. You know, I was not an early adopter when they asked me to edit. And my first show that I edited wasn't on, but actually edited. Um, it's a train wreck. You know, I mean, it's just god-awful. And, and you, you go through time, you, you start to pick up those things. But I think we all want to do the right thing. Sometimes content is much more important than quality, though. And yeah. I, I do understand that, you know, it differs. I was, I was just about to say that. Sometimes you get a guest that you can only get on a phone call or you can only get on a Skype call. But I would rather have that content right. than have a perfectly clean show come out. I love the sound of an interview with the phone through, like, how it comes in. I love that sound. That's because you, you just know. got phones in Saskatchewan. <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've actually had that feedback a lot. We had Andy Robinson on our 11th episode, so very early in the, in the run of Trek Geeks. And we had so many people go, oh, it was so great to hear that phone interview. I love the sound of a phone interview. And I'm thinking, Really? I love the sound of a phone interview. It sounds so cool. I don't know. I love the sound. So when my guests come in, I actually prefer it if they would phone me rather than Skype me because I think I love the sound of it. Well, it's a big conversation in, in Trek podcasting especially of I'm going to be at this convention and I want to try and do some interviews. What can what recorder can I get that will reduce the crowd noise as much as possible? I'm like That's my question. <laughs> my- a mobile portable recorder and um because it's obviously obviously hi, I'm Polly, the one who's very new to the podcast. Um and I've been a guest on a lot of the tricorder transmissions um uh network, along with Marina and Thad here. And so doing it myself, obviously doing it at home is uh, a lot easier because I have uh stuff set up. But it's if I I want to be able to do this um, out on the go, just like you just said, Sue. Like, do you guys have anything uh, like so, a high quality stuff or anything? And then there is that'd be great. Thanks. <laughs> the I think that crowd noise at a convention is great because it's out on the road. It gives ambiance. It gives an idea. It can make something a little bit harder to edit if you have to take something out. But as long as the crowd noise is white noise and there's not somebody like right next to you having a different conversation that you can kind of hear, you can mask it most of the time. Um, what I use for that is this. This is a Sony recorder. It's teeny tiny. About Depending on the sales on Amazon, I've seen it priced anywhere from 30 to 60 bucks. And it does the job just fine. Um, there are higher quality things. You know, a lot of people recommend a company called Zoom, and they make several portable recorders. I think we've got one plugged in back there. I've got the entry-level one, and it's plugged in yeah. over there. It was 100 Canadian, which is like probably 10 American. Like, so. <laughs> and there's there's the Zoom H2 that a lot of people use. So there's a huge range in, in cost and quality, but an inexpensive one will do you just fine. And you can always upgrade. That's the thing. I know people who use their iPhone. You know, I mean, we're all, most of us are walking around with a device that will record some kind of halfway decent audio. So, I mean, we talked earlier about there being a low barrier to entry. I mean, technology is evolving all the time, and we're all carrying around these amazing computers in our pockets that, you know, we use maybe a, a portion of their potential. We have a mid-range recorder that we use for handheld stuff. Um, we set up a laptop and, and a mixer earlier today and recorded this week's episode in the, in the exhibit hall. 
Um, we've, we've done it in a variety of different ways. We typically don't record in the same location, even though we only live seven miles apart now, which is kind of bizarre. But it's actually great because I don't have to see you. Yeah. Um, but there's there really is a solution at every budget level for this kind of thing. Yeah, it doesn't have to break the bank. Yeah. Yeah, but if if you're ever in a in the same space as somebody and they say, yeah, I'd love to do it, let's do it right now, and all you have is your iPhone, open up a voice memo because it's the yeah. same point as before. Having the content is more important than the sound quality of the content because you can get it if you have it. You have it, right? And what I found is, I, I love Sue's comment, you want to have that background white noise when you're at a convention. I don't think there's anything that I've come across that will mask that. If you're at a convention, be prepared to have it, and I don't think there's really a whole lot that you can do to hide it without affecting the overall um, uh, how, how quality of, of, what you're, of what you're recording at the time. So to piggyback a little bit on recording devices, uh, what do you do for recording guests on your shows? Not when you're doing interviews, but doing guests. Because, like, for instance, on our show, we typically just have asked the guest to record. Just uh, we'll, we'll talk through Skype and we'll ask the guest to record through, like, either just the Windows voice recorder or QuickTime on a Mac. Uh, but I know there are some there are other programs that will do it automatically for you, usually with a subscription cost. And I'm just curious what other people use. We use Zoom for Trek FM. Um, if they can record it locally, I ask them first, Can you? do you have the ability to record this locally? And if they don't, then I tell them, you can either phone in by phone, which I prefer, <laughs> or you can call in by Skype and we can record the audio that way. And on Zoom, they've recently added the feature, which had they had it when I started, would have saved me decades of work in the last two years. Um, you can now record the tracks individually so I, I don't know if that's a part of the free feature. I know that I get a paid service. That, that's part of the paid service and only if you're recording your Zoom to a hard drive. Right, yeah. So you can't cloud record separate tracks. You have to, because right. Zoom offers cloud recording so that we'll record the whole call as a backup. Separate tracks are yeah, super yeah. important. My laptop can't handle it. It doesn't have the processing power <laughs> to record the separate tracks. So it's, it's all what you can deal with. Yeah. We, um, it all depends on the technical ability of your guests. So we've had some guests who have no problem recording themselves and even processing their own file. And they're not podcasters. Mm -hmm. They're people with some degree of technical ability. But we have had other guests, um, whom we won't name, that have a hard time figuring out Skype. So it, you really have to sort of match the solution. And there are times where we don't get a separate track for every participant. There are times where we have to record the master audio and then cross our fingers that either something doesn't go wrong or that there's not something that I really have to edit the heck out of. So well, when I was on your discovering Trek, we had a nightmare. Like, I don't know what was going on that night, but we had to close and open and everything like technical problems that happened. No, I think that was your Canadian internet. It could have been Canadian yeah. internet. Yeah. So it's the exchange rate. <laughs> One of the things we did is we created a, uh, a Google Doc of like how to record yourself for Women at Warp because we, we do double-enders as well. And um, we outline both Audacity, very basically, and GarageBand, very basically. So, you know, I'm, I'm a Mac user. Somebody else did the Audacity. We both wrote it up. And then there's a, you know, saving your file and getting it to us at the end. And we'll send that out when somebody agrees to be a guest. And we say, please give it a try before the recording. And if you even want to send us the sample file, 
We'd love to hear it. If you have any questions, let us know. So giving as much information as possible. Sometimes it still doesn't work. Sometimes the files still go wonky. That's why you record the backup. But we use Zoom as well. It's not super expensive. Um, and the, the benefit for your guest is that they don't have to download anything. You can send them a Zoom meeting link, and it's, it's all web-based for your guest, even though you might have the program installed on your computer to do the recording or whatever. So um, the best thing you can do is make it as easy as possible for the guest. And the backup, I cannot stress the importance. If you have it, is the backup. Because when you did and show, I yeah. did From There to Here for Star Trek's rewatch, we did four episodes, and I don't know what I did on my end, but three of my files only extracted silent. the first. No, it was silent. That's it right. Was it was silent. silent. And she had the backups, fortunately. So we had, that's what we had. And again, the content is more important than the quality. Because yeah. it's tough. If you have an interview and you talk to somebody and you have to do it again for a technical, it's never the same. It's never I, all I can good. say is, yeah. and I've done this, I don't care what you have for a device, what you're using. Hit the record button. <laughs> I just I just interviewed Jason here, and I don't think I hit record. I'm yeah. not going to find out until I, I get home. I, I, I don't uh, think I did. Uh, like I, I clearly, probably, it's all my fault. Like hey, I had problems with them. I'm sensing a trend here. So it's a, it's yeah. me. I have recorded an entire episode more than once where we did not hit the record. Button. I did that. I did that recently, and it was it was like one in the morning. Right, we got done, and I I looked down and I, I said to my guest, I went. Um, how tired are you? <laughs> and it was a great show, too. I mean, the passion was all there. It's like, we, we could not. It was like, it's done. We, we could not recreate we, that show as well as we wanted. So I'll just luckily, say, it put, put a sign up on your computer screen. <laughs> Push record. It hasn't happened on Women at Warp, thankfully. Uh, it's only happened to me on Anomaly. But we, we have a ritual at the beginning of Women at Warp uh, to sync up our audio because we all are, are all recording separately where we count to three and we all hit record at the same time. And then we count to three and we clap. Wow. Yeah, we and then we all talk a little bit to make sure that our program is displaying our waveforms. So that has helped us make sure that somebody oh, didn't fine. forget to hit record. <laughs> all right. Yes, sir. Thank you. I was just wondering, uh, how often do you record uh, and how ahead of schedule are you before you record, before you release, and how do you write slash outline with that in mind? No. Bill and I like to do the episodes the week we're going to drop them. If we're doing a discussion where it's just the two of us, where we're deep diving on an episode or a movie or, or whatnot, we'll try, we drop on Tuesday, so we have any time between Wednesday and Monday to do it. If we have a guest on, like, like Sue said earlier, we are completely flexible with whatever their schedule is. So if, let's say, for example, not that this is happening, but let's say, example, Jeffrey Combs was available. But he's not available. He's only available tomorrow at 7 o'clock, but we're not going to be able to release it until January. We'll save it, and we'll let him know that we're going to save it until this is when it's going to drop. Um, so that flexibility with the guests is very important, but we try to keep it as, as close as we possibly can. And I'll let Bill talk about what we do for our outline because I'm sure he's got a few things to say. Well, what we really do and what I'd like to do are two different things because <laughs> I would love to be two weeks ahead, but we'll never be two weeks ahead because schedules change. Uh, as far as an outline, um, we don't script anything, and I know some shows do and some shows don't. We kind of have a rough outline in Google Docs um, that we can share and, and collaborate on as far as the edit. But we hit some high points, and then we just fill in the rest in our conversation because that's just how our show works. Um, I think it has to be 
conducive to the voice of your show. And because what we do doesn't necessarily work for, for Marina on her podcast, Shore Leave, or for Thad on his podcast, Delta Flyer. Notice those really subtle plugs. <laughs> That's really what helps in podcasting. Um, you know, it's uh, it, it all aren't free. No, no, it's, so he's, we'll get some money later. Yeah. But it, it all boils down to what fits your work style and your workflow vis-a-vis your your show. See, for Warp Five, that's probably the best example because my other ones are are different. But for Warp Five, we record on Mondays, and it's released the following Friday, like two Fridays later. Is when that's what we try and keep to for our schedule. Um, now, we had a couple of times where we're like let's record two tonight and then we're good for a little while we can take a day off you know so we did stuff like that and we try and keep them shorter episodes at that time um we have on our network we have a base camp and chris has created a bunch of documents that self-populate as a guide to fill it out and that doesn't work for me like i i like to have a free flow discussion rather than a rigid gotta hit this point gotta hit this point gotta hit this point i will write down sometimes if i hit an episode where like we need to talk about this and I'll write that down, but I'll bring it up at some point when it's when it's uh, organic to bring up in the conversation, rather than saying now I got to go to this point because I find that the best discussions happen that way because you never know where tangents will take you, and you can't plan for that, and that's what I've come to like about my podcasting, and that doesn't work for everybody. So we um, we release every other Monday, and we record every other Sunday. So in terms of recording ahead of release, we're two weeks and a day ahead, or at least that is the plan. Um, and, but for, for scheduling, for ideas, we try to plan out about a quarter at a time, like a quarter of a year, you know, like a fiscal quarter. That's the word. Um, doesn't always work that way. Sometimes things change. Sometimes they get all messed up. Uh, sometimes a, a guest is delayed and we're like, oh crap, what are we going to release next week? And we have to put in a filler episode. That's usually when we do a deep dive into one episode. Insider secret. Um, but one of the things we do that helps us split up the work is uh, one person, one of the hosts, is assigned the, the research slash outline for the episode. And that person does the deep dive, looks at the different talking points. We definitely just outline. We don't script anything. And then once, once the outline is done, they send it to everybody else who's going to be on the show. And it's very free, free for all. Like if there's something I missed that you want to add, put it in there. So let's make sure that we talk about it. And then the person who did that outline is also the person who is leading the episode, who does our intro, who introduces the next point, who moves it along. So it's almost like a lead for that episode of the show. Um, just to, to give everybody some ownership of an episode so we're not all just kind of running around like chickens with our heads cut off trying to make sure everything happens and you you sort of fall into roles that way when there's a group of you does that answer your question okay <laughs> because one of the things too I, I find that the outline that we use is really a best practice is it, it's got who's going to be on it it's got the link to get onto it when you're recording and the outline is very helpful i think in any conversation it's going to go wherever it's going to go but that outline helps keep you on track, too, if there's certain points you want to put on. So if, the, if this is something you're starting up or you want, um, just, you know, we're right across over here. Just I can give you a card. We can send you what we use. It's really, really, um, I, I really like the outlines that, that, that we have. And we do it the same way, Sue, right? Mm -hmm. Whoever comes up with the, the general idea is usually going to lead it. Our introductions are usually the same. Mm -hmm. We might switch a little bit. But then who's ever going to be kicking whoever pitched this? 
And we do write a lot of these things out. I, I actually do put a lot of scripting in certain points because I don't want to forget. And I do know if you're running a crazy schedule, your mind starts to go a little bit. And then you're like, ah, I meant to do X, and we didn't do it. So that why, you know, so for me, an outline is critical. And then for others, like I said, people that have, you know, ten times the intelligence I have, a good memory, they just they just let it fly. You know, there's nothing wrong with scripting all or part of your show if you need to. Some people need to do that. They can't keep stuff in order in their brain. Absolutely fine. The hard part is making sure that it doesn't sound like you're reading it. Oh, absolutely. And there's there's the very stark, like, I am clearly reading this thing because my voice and cadence has changed. And then there's people who think they don't sound like they're reading, but they still do. Yeah. So, I, I mean, the, the trick that I have found, and this might be a little more theater kid, is to read through it first to yourself and then say it again while you're not really reading it. Like, if you have enough, if you, if you can remember a line like that so that it, it, it gives life to it. Because the hardest part, I know some podcasters who script their entire show, and it is, I love them as people, I really do, but it, I can't listen to their show, because it's just, that's what's painful to me. You know, you were talking about the compression earlier. When I hear people, and, it, and what is coming from their voices doesn't sound genuine to me, I'm out. Check, I'm checked out. Yeah, it's easy to do. I, I, it, for us, you know, like I said, when I say scripted, it's an outline. It's like Google Maps. You know, well, there's an accident, go right, go left, go whatever, you know, and that, that's what happens, but be happy to share that. One of the dangers with mine, when it, with mine not being rigid, is we have the danger, especially when you have fun with your ghosts, of going off on bizarre tangents, yeah. right? And it's hard sometimes to pull it back, and, you know, only once have I had it where the tangent messed me up so badly that I'm like, I don't even know what to do next, so... <laughs> Hey, so, yeah, it's our time. I want to thank everyone for, for coming this afternoon. This was really fun and enjoyable. Let's hear it for our panelists, please. Thank you guys very much. Thank you. We all have cards. We're going to be in the vendor room. Come talk to us. Yes, please. And, and have a great rest of the show. See you.